Hello, hello. Welcome back to Silencing Women in the Name of God. I'm Devery. Today we're going to talk to Diana. Now, Diana's story was, guys, <laughs> Diana's story is one of those ones that you just don't hear very often. Uh, the themes are very much the same, but the actual story itself is one of those ones where you're like, wait, no, really? So I just want you to imagine for a minute your kid, you're growing up, hyper-religious environment, except you're not having the same religious experiences as everyone else. Your religious experiences are manifesting in gifts uh, that are really honored amongst the spiritual community, but kind of condemned amongst the religious community. Her story really sounds a lot more like a 16th century witch hunt than modern day America, but that's exactly what it was. Uh, the thing that she described to me she said, my story is kind of like the movie The Village by M. Night Shyamalan. And I had seen this movie, okay? <laughs> and I was like, oh, come on. And uh, yeah, it actually is is a lot like The Village by M. Night Shyamalan. Enjoy. There once was a woman who lost her way. She wandered through thickets and thorns. They told her her pain was not but the price of finding her soul again. Silent, she was silent, but she'll carry her pain no more. Hello, hello, Diana. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be so good. I So uh, Diana and I met actually at Wizard World, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, where were we? Kansas City? Did I just make that up? Oh, gosh. I don't even remember you guys, exactly. Well, yeah, you did just, way more of those than I did. So it would be hard, harder for you yeah. to remember. Yeah, All so, of that year was Comic-Cons. <laughs> yes, you guys. And it was so funny. So I'm such a brat. <clears throat> I did a lot of video, uh, not a lot, not like you guys did, but I did a decent amount of, of cons and conventions and stuff. And so many of the authors just don't understand how to put a table together. And like, <laughs> yes. you, and you guys, like I walked past your guys' table, you and your husband. And I was like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> you guys, their setup was amazing. Uh, her and her husband are both authors. You both write fantasy and, mm -hmm. uh, you aren't writing as much right now, right? You kind of shifted focus a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I burned out after my last book and I was like, I need to go try a real job working under someone else, like for a company. And then that lasted for like nine months. And I was like, forget this. I'm going back home. <laughs> so, and I had a new path to walk after that. So right, right. So I haven't been writing since. It's hard. I think honestly, I definitely... I'm struggling. I'm still struggling with some burnout. Like the fiction is, is hard mm -hmm. right now. And I talked to someone else just yesterday who I wasn't expecting to say that the fiction was hard. And he was like, yeah, I don't know what's going on, but like, I am, str I think a lot of us with the pandemic and everything that's going crazy, plus burnout from pushing mm -hmm. so hard before, I think a lot of us are just struggling yeah. and trying to find, yeah, like, what do we want and who are we? And do I actually, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, totally understandable. Uh, but you still have how many books out there? 
um, I think it's like nine that are published, but a lot of them are short stories too, that I wrote like a whole series of short stories before I released my series. So, um, just as like a buildup. So people yeah. already knew kind of the, the species and the parts of the world and certain, you know, names of towns and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but the, um, I have three main novels, um, that are all related to each other. And then one that's just a standalone, but, um, and that that's another novel. I have another one I'm supposed to do to finish off the series, but I, I just not, I'm not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> Understandable. I'll get there. <laughs> All right, so Diana sent me a bio, so I'm going to read this off for you guys before we get started, because her story is amazing and crazy, and what are those stories that you're like, is this real life? So, so we got we to gotta get to it. All right, so Diana Robertson is a Romanian-American spiritual teacher and mentor whose teachings help change the inner narrative so that one can find happiness and mental peace. I love that. Uh, Diana was raised in a Romanian Pentecostal community with extreme fundamentalist rules and expectations. From early on, she did not feel right about the beliefs and recognized that the church's faith did not make sense with her personal spiritual experiences. As a young woman in the Pentecostal church, Diana was forced to hide her efforts as she pursued studies of other cultures and belief systems in an attempt to make sense of her own. Now, as an evangelical and proclaimed pagan, Diana helps others who have left the church reframe their thinking so they can better enjoy life and find peace after indoctrination. Now, Diana has an amazing TikTok, so I just want to point you guys over there, and I'll put this in the show notes too. Uh, She has a TikTok channel that is fabulous, great information, very popular, and it's Runes and Ravens, and that is Runes um, underscore and underscore Ravens. So definitely check that out. And make sure you get those underscores in there, because I think I saw the other day you have some impersonators now on TikTok. Yes. (laughs) That's how you know that you're cool, right? When people start (laughs) pretending that they're you. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to add real quick, though. You said evangelical and pagan. I'm an ex-evangelical. Okay. See, now, I, I would like to – I read that because that is actually – I'm going to defend myself here. That That is actually what we have on the paper here. But I said it and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so thank you because I was going to ask you, like, wait, so you're still holding on because I didn't know that. So no, 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 that's gone. evangelical <laughs> and proclaimed pagan, thank you very, very much. Now, before we get started, I really want to just open this with give me your definition of paganism because I know that there will be people on here who will immediately relate that to like dangerous and like, you know, like we're worshiping Mm -hmm. Satan and I know that's not what's happening here. So break this down. What is paganism really? Okay, so if you're looking at like Merriam-Webster's dictionary, they're telling you that it's really any belief system that does not fall under the main world religions like Christianity or um, Islam. And so anything that is not Christian or Muslim or, you know, related to one of the big religions would be considered pagan. Um, At this point in time, there's more of like a modern approach to paganism where a lot of people are still very, you know, they're polytheistic. They have, you know, they're going back to the beliefs of, you know, like the older um, ideas of gods, you know, whether it's like Norse paganism or uh, Celtic paganism, there's different branches of paganism, just like there's different branches of religion. Um, I myself don't follow a particular path of it. I always say, I'm like, I just exist. I am. Mm. (laughs) And I, 
I focus on um, really just kind of living through connection and perspective. Um, as you know, uh, in, as we said in the bio, my focus that I try to help people um, learn is how to shift their perspective so that they can better um, fulfill their own happiness, their own um, you know reach their own goals um, by changing the way that they see the world, they, the way that they see themselves, and um, that does not agree with religion yeah. <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. And so. Um, I, you know, do, I, I'm more of a, I, I know people would call it a nature focused pagan where, you know, I will go and stand outside to recharge, to ground, to whatever, mm. but that's about as like woo woo as you're really going to see me do. <laughs> like I don't, um, I don't have rituals or ceremonies or, you know, pray to anything. I don't worship anything. Um, I just exist. And I, put my energy, my um, efforts and spirituality towards connecting with people and towards connecting with ideas and growth and, you know, any sort of uh, background or culture. I love cultures, so I'm kind of like a culture pagan too. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it's really just anything that's not Christian, um, anything mainly Christian. I mean, at this point, you'll have Christians be like anything that's not Christian is pagan. Um, right. If you go by, you know, what the Bible's saying anything that's not according to um, to their God and their teachings is a pagan idea or belief. Yeah, which has, you know, a lot of fear around it and purposefully so, right? This was very mm-hmm. purposeful to create this, this type of fear around it. Um, I was telling my last guest we were recording and um, we were on a trip together when I tried chanting for the first time, which is a Buddhist practice, right? But I mm-hmm. still had so much fear around this because you know, you're chanting to this little scroll and I immediately, like I have mm-hmm. been so trained to be like, oh, that's idol worship, right? Like we don't do yeah. that. And I was so scary. But then once I opened my mind to that and just relaxed and was like, hey, I've got to learn, right? Like I've left, I've left Mormonism. Like I'm not going to figure anything out unless I open my mind and just yeah. see like, how do I feel about all these things? How does this affect me inside? And that was so critical because like chanting is what made my brain go quiet for the first time ever. Like mm-hmm. my brain shut off and I was like, oh my God, I get it. Like that's why people, that's why people do yeah. this. And it sounds like you're doing a similar where, you know, for your practice, you're going out, you're being still with nature, you're connecting in to mm-hmm. help with, yeah, that, that, that happiness and mental peace that is so difficult to mm-hmm. access otherwise. Yeah. How beautiful. It's really just hyper-focusing on the five senses and bringing myself to where I am, to whatever living things are around me. Um, And I recognized when I was young that that provided for me a feeling of contentment and sort of like a feeling of security, similar to when you're sitting in a room full of your family members, or if you're in a car with, you know, brothers and sisters and feeling, you know, there's this living tribe that's around you, right? Um, I wasn't ever really able to feel that on as deep of a level as most people would feel with their family, Mm -hmm. especially being raised in a very family, you know, centric kind of, Mm -hmm. um, community. But, um, I was never really able to express myself or be who I am around my family. So I never really had that feeling of belonging anywhere, but, I learned when I was about 10 years old, I recognized that trees have life and that Mm -hmm. it has the same life source or energy going through it that humans carry, that whatever makes humans alive is what makes 
animals alive. And that kind of brought me a sense of peace and a feeling of like, I can go out and be around these living things and feel content and feel like I can express myself and say what I need to say. And even if I'm just talking to myself and sitting there at the base of a tree, you know, and I'm just telling the trees my my secrets, as I used to say when I was like 12. <laughs> but, um, but that was my, uh, when I found Celtic paganism, uh, my first actual, um, uh, I, I guess when I was first, um, when I first met any sort of idea of paganism, when I was first introduced to paganism was Celtic paganism through the green man, which is, um, uh, some say that it's a deity, but um, if you look through books and you know history, they say that it's more of a, just a symbol of nature, um, represented as like the face of a man in a tree. And um, when I first saw that, it was like immediately familiar to me because I was like, "Hey, like, wait, okay." And I was a kid, okay, at this time, and I was like, "Is that who's hearing me? Is that who's oh. keeping my secrets when I'm talking to the trees <laughs> when I'm oh out God. there, you know?" Yeah. <laughs> around nature and feeling like I'm belonging but it was just a big kind of light bulb for me yeah I love this and I think this is a teaching that is is coming back I'm seeing it more Mm -hmm. and more I mean definitely in the spiritual communities but this this very important and critical understanding of one right that we are all Mm -hmm. one and I love that you said that that you know, I realized that what was in me was in the trees, was in the grass, was in like, and the fact mm-hmm. that this was inherent to you, that you were able to recognize this idea and this truth at such a young age is beautiful. And I, cause I have to work really hard at this. Like I, mm-hmm. if I'm outside, I need to live somewhere where there's more sun, let me tell you, cause I don't get to do it as many mm-hmm. months as I want. But if I'm outside and I can't get my mind to stop racing. I exactly have started doing what you're describing, which is okay, mm-hmm. tap into my ears. Like, let's hear the birds. Let's hear the word, like the wind. How does it feel on my skin? How does the sun feel on my skin? Exactly. And, and yeah, I, I will get to this much quieter, still place. But here's what's interesting. And this is where I'm really excited to get into because I think it is eye opening to the potentiality for such damage in, in people like you and children like you. So you're having these experiences that are very, very natural, very inherent to you. You're not going Mm -hmm. to books like in the beginning, right? You weren't going to books to understand like, Oh, I should try to talk to the trees. Like you were doing these things, but the environment you were raised in was not conducive to this at all. And in fact, it, it was very, very damaging. So let talk to us about so so that people have a baseline to understand, like, talk to us about the church you were raised in the environment, like, and I know because of who your family was, it, it kind of upped the significant like impact of all of this. So so yeah, let's let's just get right into it. Like, how what was life like for Diana? All right, well, um, I always compare the the ideas, like the, the concept of living that I was raised in was very similar to that movie, The Village by M. Night Shyamalan. Um, the concept in that village is that it is a small village that looks like it's set in like the um, 18th or 19th century. And um, these elders are running the village. Um, they raise the children in that community to fear the forest and what's you know beyond that forest, that there's monsters there. Um, They use scare uh, tactics to keep even the adults kind of, you know, um, under control Um, in one way. um, People did not know in that village that beyond 
that forest, there is a fence. And beyond that fence is our modern day world. Um, I was raised in a community that was in America, um, but I was surrounded by Romanian people, uh, the Romanian church, the Romanian language, Romanian food. Um, I didn't fully understand the concept that I was in America. I wasn't in Romania until I started going to school and I had to take ESL classes, English second language, um, you know, with all the uh, other kids. I was in Arizona um, at the time, so I was uh, raised with a lot of um, Hispanic kids and kids from the reservations over um, in that area of Arizona. And so I was the only Romanian kid in my ESL class, but, you know, we, we got along, all of us <laughs> kids who, you know, had our own um, languages that we're coming from. Um, but um, we were at church um, most uh, most days when I hit my like young adult um, age and I was like, you know, not young adult, my adolescent age and I was like 12 or 13. Before that, um, you know, we were raised to, you know, you wake up and you pray, um, you go to school, you, you know, have that whole process of the day. You come home, you eat, you pray, you go to bed. Um, any conversation with the parents was generally about God about the Bible. It was some sort of Bible lesson or life lesson, you know, having to do with God um, in every aspect of um, life. I happened to be going to a public school. I didn't, um, I wasn't homeschooled like a lot of the um, kids at the church because both my parents had to work full time. Um, we were not, you know, like well-to-do or anything when we were little. Both my parents were immigrants. Um, and so uh, when it was time to go to school and, you know, things started like the internet and Facebook. That was fun. Um, when the internet and all that started coming out, then the church would start getting involved more and more in the lives of kids at school. And, you know, you'd go to school, then you'd go to church and, you know, the pastors would be up there at the pulpit talking about, you know, this is what my kid is learning in school. And they would completely speak against what we were just taught with total conviction that, you know, like this is, this is our truth and you're being lied to and you can't trust the Americans and you can't trust the teachers. You can't trust the government. You can't trust anybody on that side. And it's just our community, our people that are going to be saved. And we have to go out and try to save as many souls as we can. And at the same time, they would speak against all those souls we were supposed to be saving, mm. saying that they're <laughs> unsavable, that they're, you know, they're too weak. They don't know our God the way that we know our God. They don't know our Bible the way that we know our Bible. So it was just very, church was involved in everything, um, which only got worse when, uh, especially as a girl, once you turn around 12 or 13 years old and you start being um, groomed by the church to be that wife that mother figure. So by 12 years old, you're already being, you know, kind of pushed in that direction. But um, it's just kind of, it, it was hard to, you know, mix up the real world and yeah. the church world, because in my mind, my church community was so big. It was such a big, important thing. And that was my world. And I had no idea that there was this whole world outside there I was very limited in my um, way of understanding, you know, that my my peers at school, like there was more beyond that. There were other ideas. There were other religions that didn't even really click with me until high school, that other people's um, religions are as um, deep and meaningful as a, you know, yeah. Christian Christian's faith was. But um, I don't know if that answered the question yeah. exactly. No, it's so <laughs> It's so, well, and I don't think we talked about, um, 
the proselyting aspect. So you guys were actually going out and trying to convert people to this Romanian community, but at the same time, Americans were evil. Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> yeah, they would have, um, they would actually like, they would invite people that just happened to be walking by the church or something or just their local and they would invite them in. Um, and especially this happened more here in North Carolina when I got married and I moved to North Carolina and I was still in the same Romanian church, the same um, community. I just wasn't at the hub that I used to be, that I was born and raised in where um, my family is basically over the entire um, Romanian community yeah. um, or okay. Romanian Pentecostal community. But in North Carolina, it was uh, it was even worse because it was a smaller um, church here than mm-hmm. the one in Arizona. Um, still, you know, by extension run by my uncle and by the people, the same people. But, um, we had our church in, um, an area that was not really, um, I guess it was like, I'm trying to think what's the proper way of saying this, but, um, it was, uh, the, you know, lower status, you know, it was more of like a poverty area. And, um, uh, you know, the people in church would invite the local, like the local people there. And so, you know, you would have like, God dang, I'm trying to put this in a word, in a way that's going to, um, to make sense and not come across terribly. I don't want to sound like this. And and I'm going to go into this, um, you know, later in, in why this was such a struggle for me too, being raised in a way, um, where the way that we spoke, the way that we, uh, just, you know, being social uh, was coming across as sexist and racist, and we didn't even recognize it yeah. as children. Mm-hmm. And so I still, when I'm having actual honest conversations and I'm trying, I'm trying to like, you know, my mind starts, you know, overthinking and I'm like, wait, am I coming across as sexist now? Right. Wait, am I coming across as right. racist now? But um, so I don't I mean, know how I you think... want to edit all that. Just to... <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's okay to, to talk about like, this is the way I was taught, you know, because I... Yeah. Oh my God, like you want to talk about racism, the Mormon church, so the Mormon church has a thing called the priesthood, which is like, they believe that like the authority from God was restored to the prophet and like all the men are able to get this authority from God to like offer priesthood blessings Mm -hmm. and like all of this thing. Um, Black people were denied the priesthood until like the 70s. Mm -hmm. And the only time that that was then allowed in was suddenly when like the tax exemption status was going to be revoked. All of a sudden there was like a miraculous revelation that black people could now Mm -hmm. hold the priesthood. Huzzah. Um, So I was definitely like, although I wasn't in a home where, you know, my parents used racist terms, I was Mm -hmm. raised with definitely racist belief systems like not only that but like in the book of mormon it talks about like how um yeah like black people were descended from cain and that was a curse on their skin Mm -hmm. and like native americans a curse on their skin for being like bad people how can you not have racist belief systems when from a child you're told that like your white skin makes you righteous it's horrible and it did not occur to me that that's what was happening and until like I started deconstructing and then I was like, oh my God. Like I had a friend of mine who I've interviewed as well. Like we ended up getting in a, in a, a little fight and d- kind of disconnected for a couple of years because she had already mm-hmm. deconstructed and started attacking me and like totally called me a racist, like told me that like I was, you know, all mm-hmm. like sexist, racist, all this stuff. And I was in the middle of trying to hold on to that religion with dear life. 
And so yeah. I was like, I can't believe like she would say that. And now I'm like, of course she fucking said that. Like, what was that? Like, uh-huh. what else would she say? So I think it's okay for you to to say, yeah, this is how it was yeah. thought. And people hopefully understand that that we have uh, moved on to different concepts yeah. and our understandings are expanding. Yeah. Well, I'll just, I'm going to try to reframe this uh, or the, you know, reiterate this. Um, so the church that I was in in North Carolina, um, it was located in an area that was more African-American. And so um, we like occasionally, you know, I'd walk in a church and then I would find out that the pastor or some church member had met somebody walking on the street and invited them into church for the day. And they would put them you know, you know, a black man in an all white, you know, Romanian church doesn't even speak English and put them in the front of church, like Mm -hmm. in the front row. And so everybody, you know, who, um, the people who invited them would be like, oh yeah, you know, I saw them, you know, and I thought, you know, they could use Jesus. They need to hear the word, you know, and bring them in and, you know, let us take care of them. Cause we just assumed then I'm sitting... by what they looked like that they were exactly. laughing at. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. And so I'd be sitting, you know, more towards the back cause I had kids all the time and I was always having to go in and out of church if the kids started, you know, getting loud or something. And, um, so, you know, I was sitting in the back and I would sit there and listen to women be like, well, how do we know they're not just going to turn around and, you know, pull a gun on us? How oh do we know God. they're not just going to? And they were just muttering these things. And I'm like, how can you say this? I'm yeah. just like, how, how is that? How is this anything that is it biblical to you? How do right. you guys not have any, have any sort of empathy? Do you guys not feel? Do you guys not think beyond anything? Like, are you guys just you know, because they're in their little group or they just patting each other on the back. So they feel, you know, confident yeah. to say crap like that. But it's like, how can you go from being like, yeah, we're going to, you know, go and spread the word and invite, you know, the people that we meet and look, these guys, they're black. We, they, they need Jesus, you know, right. they need, you know, our, our help and our guidance. We're going to invite them in and take care yeah. of them. But, oh, but wait, what if they turn around, they do this. Yeah. And I'm just like, that was just something that I could not, yeah. I, I couldn't wrap my mind around, but it was something so normal. And I guarantee you they still do it today because that yeah. church is still going. But and they don't even realize they don't care because for them it's all, you know, making themselves look good and feel good and it's all about reputation. Right. When it, you know, comes down to it. And it's just Yeah. It is utterly ridiculous. It you know, and it's it's so much more than utterly ridiculous. But it's it's such a weird place to stand, I think, because what you have is you have like you and I who had this programming inserted from the time mm-hmm. we were born, right? This wasn't like this was a choice we made as an adult because we understood. But as a child, yeah. it's just, you know, completely normal and everything's fine. And so it's so weird to stand in that middle spot and understand how and why it's happening. But then make that mm-hmm. flip to all of a sudden you your eyes are opened and you're like, oh, my God, like this is wrong and this is horrible yeah. this is unacceptable like it is oh yeah it's i remember i so i live in idaho which is mm-hmm. the whitest state probably in the entire nation um mm-hmm. like up until a couple of years ago i could go months without seeing a single person of color of any color like it didn't even matter like it is so 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 white that my understanding of racism was really um limited by my community Mm -hmm. and my religion and and everything and it was when I started traveling for writing that I like I remember being in an airport 
And really, I think at that point, still thinking that like racism wasn't as bad as everyone said it was, you know, mm-hmm. which I, I apologize to every single person of color listening to this, that that was ever in my mind. Um, but yeah, I remember standing in an airport line to check out and there was a white person and then there was a black person and then there was me. And the cashier was super kind to the first person. Oh, hi. How's your day? Great. Thank you. Have a nice day. They left. The black person stepped up. And her entire demeanor changed. Like all of a sudden mm-hmm. she was cold and she wasn't speaking and she was snippy and like her movements were really harsh. And I was like, wait a minute, like, am I seeing what I think I'm seeing here? Or did she, maybe she, yeah. so I'm like rationalizing around, like maybe she knew the first person, like maybe, maybe they were friends. And then this, so they leave and I step up and it's an immediate flip and it's back to, oh, hi, how are you? And I'm like, oh my God. Like, Oh my God, like this is very real. And I have been completely shielded from how horrible this is, as Mm -hmm. well as participating because of my religious beliefs. And that is, that's a hard thing to come to um, in deconstruction as well. But okay, so this is a super, super important topic. Um, So I don't want to, I didn't want to skim over it as if it was so like, oh yeah, racism, whatever, it's fine. Um, But I do want to go back to the um the conformity requirements with mm-hmm. so your uncle was basically head of the church in america right yeah. like yes head of head. the like, all romanian pentecostal community of america canada they have churches in ireland they have them they have them everywhere <laughs> so oh, wait, wait, wait. are you the, saying he's the big kahuna he's head of all like even outside of the all of those churches he's the one like <laughs> they answer to him so, and the people that he chooses ultimately. So he's kind of like the Pope of <laughs> yeah, Romanian Pentecostal. I just want to get like that. I right. just always said he's the big kahuna. Okay. Oh my God. See, and I thought it was just in the States, but no, it's, oh, wow. Okay. So this is a big deal. So you are, you know, the niece of the Pope. Okay. It's not the niece of the Pope. Y'all listen to the first minute before. If you just popped in, she's not the niece of the Pope. Um, but yeah. like, but so, so your family reputation would, was it like more important to uphold than say a random member in Ireland? Or do you feel like it was pretty much across the board expectation wise? I think it was pretty across the board. Um, wow. I mean, uh, 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 which, where do you want me to start? I know, right? <laughs> oh, okay. So let's, let's go to the reason that I wanted to set this up for our listeners is because this, um, the paganism that we had talked about and we mentioned how, you know, Diana was connecting with this stuff really, really early. Um, but she's being raised in this, this hyper religious environment that conformity, um, fear of the outside world, fear of outside belief systems. So these two collide for you really mm-hmm. early. Um, so can we, let's talk about that. Let's talk about when you started vocalizing some of the things that were happening and your uncle's mm-hmm. and therefore the church's response to this uh, and how it affected you. All right. So I think it really hit me that something was a little different about my experiences when I was in uh, second grade and I, um, was on the playground and I had, I was, um, standing next to somewhere near a teacher and I heard the teacher say something about somebody else that was, um, there on the playground, another teacher that was there. And I don't remember what I said exactly, 
but it was just so casual of me knowing what was going on with this other person. And it was like, I was speaking so matter of fact, like, oh, well, it's just because of this and this and this. And this teacher looks at me and she like, she like bent over, she took my face in her hands and she just looked at me. She's like, you're an old soul, aren't you? And I'd never heard the term until then. She's like, how, how do you understand what you just said? <laughs> like when you're in eight, when you're in second grade, I was like eight, what, eight years old? Uh, no, younger than eight years old. No. Yeah. Seven, eight years old, whatever. Young. <laughs> and um, so uh, that's where I first just was like, what? Like you couldn't tell <laughs> like what was happening. Right. But um, when I was uh, about 12 was when um, I started having, uh, it was, I mean, before then I was having dreams. I was having, you know, what people would call visions, just you know, knowing what was going to happen next, calling out what was going to happen next, you know, having dreams of, oh, well, this happened, you know, and um, not really voicing it to my friend, to my family or friends until about 12, when I started having more of what people would call like paranormal activity in, you know, my house and around, around me almost all the time. Um, You know, there's that concept of um, shadow people, you know, just seeing like, movement or seeing, you know, a person like a silhouette, you know, Mm. from the corner of your eye and you look over and it was, um, it was like that, but exaggerated (laughs) in my experiences. Mm -hmm. And so I felt that everything I was experiencing from having the dreams and visions and, um, you know, seeing the things that I was seeing, um, and all the activity around the house that, um, because of how I was raised, I was led to believe it was inherently demonic. Everything Mm -hmm. was, you know, coming from the devil. And um, I would have this recurring nightmare that I was standing in hell and that I was talking to Satan and that he, you know, he was with the hood and he had this long beard and I couldn't see his eyes and I could just see his mouth moving. And he had two demons next to him. I think I had this dream first and I was like seven. Um, And I couldn't hear what he was saying, but then he you know, he walked off and those two demons came and stood next to me. And I woke up and my first thought was the demons never left. The demons are still here. They're still there. Oh, that's what the dark shadows should Mm. or probably that's what, you know, this like face with the red eyes at nighttime is, you know, and I started like applying everything that I was experiencing to their demons. They have to be demons. There's no other answer because I didn't understand that there are other possibilities, okay. that there, you know, could be something psychological going on, that there could be anything else. Yeah. That was the only understanding that I had was that it was demonic, it was the devil, and that was it. So when I was about 12 years old, I talked to my parents about it, and I told them about some of my experiences, and that following Sunday, I my uncle preached and um, made an announcement after preaching that there is a kid in the church who is speaking with the devil at night and that you know she needs prayers and she needs you know this and that and from, everybody from the pulpit. somehow from the pulpit yes from the pulpit oh my god okay. yes <laughs> somehow everybody knew it was me um, because uh, the gossip in the Romanian community the gossip is where their reputation comes from. What are you being gossiped about? You know? <laughs> and so gossip is huge in that community. And so, so you're within 12. what? You're 12 years and old. I was 12. You've had what was, I mean, obviously by your dreams, your greatest fear, right? Is that mm-hmm. you're talking to Satan and that that's the only explanation because yeah. you had no other mm, bearing, right? No, not that wasn't the right word. Mm-hmm. You, had, you had nothing else to frame it with. You finally confessed to your parents that like, mm-hmm. and I assume this confession was from a fear place, right? Of like, I don't know yes. what's happening. 
And then the very next Sunday, the entire congregation knows and your uncle is basically condemning you, but also asking for prayers from the pulpit. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. And over the years, I mean, they, they did things where they would bring me to the front, you know, anoint me with oil on my forehead and pray over me. Um, and not just me, you know, singularly, but the, the heads of the church, the elders, as you know, I call them, <laughs> they were very aware, well aware of what, you know, I had talked to my parents about and what, um, you know, I was going through. And well, um, so they well, would have, they would just call you up like just you. No, not, not just me. No. Oh. Like they would, you know, do like a, uh, what do you call them when they're calling everybody up to the pulpit to, you know, pray over. But as soon as, you know, I was like, um, I don't remember if I went up there specifically for that reason either. I just, I remember going up there and all of them just kind of like looked at each other and they grabbed their little oil and they all came around me. And I had like three or four guys with their hands on my head and they're putting oil on me and they're praying to make the, you know, the demons go away and to, wow. you know, clear my soul of whatever it is, you know, that's going on. In front and, of um, In front of everyone. Yes. Wow. And so, you know, there were other people there, but I was the one that had everybody there around me. And mm -hmm. at this time, I think I was probably like, um, you know, maybe around like. It wasn't that much long longer after, so maybe like thirteen or fourteen, but still in like my mid teenage yeah. years, you know. How did that? And, like, how did that um, affect you? What 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 did that create in you? Like, my God, that's I mean, that's traumatic. It was. I battled with um, all of my experiences in my. Um, uh, I didn't even know what to call it then. It was just like, I would just know things is what I would just, I would tell to people. People would be like, well, how did you know? I don't know how yeah. I knew. I just, I just know. And, um, you know, the things would be confirmed. So people were seeing that what I would know somehow about somebody else's personal life or, you know, something yeah. that they had said, you know, on the other side of the room or something was true. And they're like, but how did you know? I don't know. I just know. Yeah. And so I battled with this whole, like, clearly something's happening. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to describe what is happening without sounding like I'm demon possessed or, you know, yeah. that there's something crazy going on. Um, but clearly something is happening. And I have enough people now who have witnessed what I do and what I've experienced. And in that moment, in moments like that, because that wasn't the only moment when I had an experience like that, that was an ongoing thing over the years. Oh my God. And, um, those like the times where I was willing to step up and go and, you know, say something or have people, you know, pray for me or something was those time periods where I was falling into the fear of, oh, my God, I'm going to hell. Oh, my God, I'm going to hell. And I remember nights where I would just curl up in a ball and just cry and cry to the point of hyperventilating of just like, why, God, why would you give me this ability? Why would you make me experience this? if this is going to be sending me to hell and I would battle with this, like, because I couldn't get answers from the church besides, you know, Oh, it's a demon possession. You need prayer. You need cleansing. You need this. I started going to libraries. I started studying different concepts, ideas, religions, cultures where things like that were happening, what it was called, you know, what different, um, you know, what shadow people would be called in other religions and other yeah. um, cultures. And just to kind of, narrow down my experiences and to, you know, understand them a little more. And um, even with all the knowledge that I was, you know, uh, that I was obtaining and, you know, filling my head with, I was still finding myself in those like weak, vulnerable moments where I'm like, 
my family's not going to love me. Mm-hmm. My community's not going to love me. I'm going to go to hell. This is, you know, everything that I know is to be true is hell. And, you know, what if they're right? And yeah. is it really worth, and you know, getting into this stuff? Um, is it worth giving it my time, my energy, my attention when I, uh, you know, could just be living a normal, mm-hmm. calm life like everybody else, you know? And I would have moments of weakness and yeah. just go and cry and be like, make it go away, you know, right. pastors, family, whatever, just make it go away. Yeah. And um, so it was just this constant battle. And somebody in the church had actually compared it to an addiction and tried to tell me that oh I was struggling in the same way that boys were struggling with pornography. What? <laughs> that this, <laughs> my addiction to the occult was just as bad as a boy with pornography and that I needed to work through my addiction and go through the whole process that boys have to go through as well. What? Oh my God. Okay. See, and this is, okay, that is so messed up. A, but this is so fascinating because what I'm, what I'm pulling from this, and you can please tell me if this, if you disagree and this isn't correct, but you, so you're having these experiences you have no control over. You immediately are like, oh my God, it's Satan, right? And which 100% Mm -hmm. my opinion, like that's where these dreams are coming from, right? It's your fears, like you're terrified. This is Satan, right? So then, which you tell your parents, we're now preaching from the pulpit, we're blessing over you. And it's, I mean, it sounds like that, those acts, that push towards like Diana is, you know, conversing with the devil, put you in such a state of desperation that that's what drove you to the library in the first damn place Mm -hmm. to start researching. Like you probably would have never researched and gone into any of it had they not reacted the way that they did. Oh, for sure. Right. And then they're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is just like pornography. <laughs> like you have a problem. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, this is such a okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, and I think you said you said a word, and I was like, I believe that you felt that way, but I totally want to like you and me talk about reframing this for a second. Because you were like, I had moments of weakness. And I'm mm-hmm. like. I think you had moments of being a human being, right? Because, because really like you would have known, you would have known if I follow this, you know, occult pagan path, like if I keep, if I accept these things that I'm reading and say like, oh, I'm not talking to Satan, like maybe we're all just part of the one and maybe I can talk to trees and, and maybe this Mm -hmm. is just a gift that some people have that I know stuff that's going to happen before it happens. But if I accept that, it's going to cost me my family. It's going to cost me my community. It's going to cost me my entire life. Like, where will I live? What will I eat? What will I do? Also, hell, what am I supposed to do about hell? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, it's such an impossible thing to bridge and to overcome. And it has nothing to do with weakness and everything to do with survival. Yes, absolutely. And I I agree with you. It was... uh... Poor word choice on my side, well, <laughs> but but in my mind then I would see it as yeah. a weakness, you know, as you know, I, uh, you know, was falling away to that, you know, to those basic needs of yeah. family. Yeah. And I mean, and I was very, my whole life, I was very empathic. Um, I know there's a lot of people that don't believe in empaths as, you know, a type of person, but I was very empathic. I was very hyper aware of 
the feelings of others. Um, I, you know, I only hid the things that I was researching because I didn't want to hurt my parents' feelings. I didn't want them upset with me. I wanted my parents to be proud of me. I wanted to fit in with my brothers. Um, I I have four brothers. The only girl. And I would see how they get along together and how, you know, they do things together. And I was just, I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to feel like I was belonging. Um, And I just, I never got that. But I was thinking, you know, okay, maybe if I just push all this aside, you know, this was when I was like 17 and I was getting pushed to get married. And I was like, um, you know, if I just push all this aside and just focus on what it is that's expected of me, I will go and I'll be the wife and I'll be the mom and I'll do what I have to do. I'll go to church. I'll be that godly woman. I'll do whatever I have to do, you know, to make everybody, you know, happy to make sure that nobody has any issues that there's no stresses or whatever. Um, and so then I went and I got married (laughs) and to somebody that I had only known for a year and two weeks and, uh, who was eight years older than me and, um, coming from a purely Romanian, you know, background who had just come to America a few years before that. So he was still, you know, his English was still choppy. And, um, I was just in that mindset of, this is what's expected of me. This is, you know, I want to be like the other girls. I want to be like the other girls. I want to do what everybody else is doing and just keep everybody happy. Yeah. And that's kind of where all that (laughs) started. See, and I think this, this idea of conformity, I, it frustrates me because I feel like religious women are not acknowledged for the degree of sacrifice that is necessary in order mm-hmm. to conform. It's it's talked about as if it just is, right? Like you just make good yeah. choices and you step into this more quote unquote godly version of yourself, right? That then mm-hmm. is, especially for you, because, and we haven't gone into this, but I'm going to have you do it in just a second. Like the, the culture of submissiveness with women, right? Like you just godly mm-hmm. and then you're submissive, like ta-da, it's amazing. Instead of yeah. realizing that what we're actually asking is for you to turn off and like divorce from Mm -hmm. parts of yourself. Oh yeah. Um, It was, uh, there was a lot of Romanian women who were having issues with their husbands, you know, and like women in their young, you know, twenties and we, you know, us young, you know, other women were starting to hear other, you know, like the women who had problems kind of starting to voice things. Um, As far as I know, none of them actually took action. For all I know, they're all still married to the same guy in the same community. But that somebody had put it into um, these words of when you get married, you're no longer allowed to have a personality. Mm. And that is the big issue with why women were starting to become a problem in the church. The married women were, uh, you know, beginning to, you know, become a problem. And it was because... Um, we weren't allowed to have personality. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a teenage girl who came and told me about it. And she's like, is this true? And I'm like, I'm talking to this teenage girl who is unmarried, who is in the same yeah. community. And, you know, I didn't admit to her. I was like, no, you know, that's not it, you know, <laughs> which I feel bad now. I'm like, if I could go back. Right. <laughs> but but you that, admit- that's what it is, though. But if you admit it, and this is what's so tricky, right? Because on from like an outsider, like looking back point of view, you're like, oh my God, I should have just been honest. This poor thing, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're in it, for you to be honest, it requires you to like 
set aside that cognitive dissonance that has been your survival mm-hmm. mechanism and be like, this is wrong. And then everything crumbles and you know that that's what's yeah. going to happen. And so you can't look at it. Like you have to just push it out to the side and be like, mm-hmm. no, that's exactly. not, I totally have a personality. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, it's such, it's like, it becomes honesty becomes a matter of survival because if you're honest, mm-hmm. everything falls apart. And so that's survival, right? Like all the oh, yeah. you don't have a place to live and oh my God. So, so much. Okay. Mm, sorry. This is, it's so eerily similar in so many ways, just like dialed mm-hmm. up 15 notches, right? Like you got like <laughs> a much more dialed up version of submissiveness requirements and what it is to be a, a woman. And like, like you got level 10 and I got like level four or five probably, Although I don't, no, know. I don't know. Sometimes I think like I don't I don't compare suffering. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so glad you said that. Cuz when it's not even a matter of suffering, it's a matter of um what teachings did you pull in, right? So like mm-hmm. you pulled in I can't have a personality and I pulled in like you can have a personality up to this line. <laughs> and then uh-huh. and then you've got to set it down. So yeah, it's not a matter of of suffering cuz I actually was talking to someone about this just the other day. It's like it doesn't matter if it looks harder or not like you have mm-hmm. no idea how difficult that is for that person and that personality and you know their life experience. Yeah. And it's the same stress chemicals for exactly. all of us. It, exactly. Exactly. But it does play into how the brain is wired, right? And like yeah. what triggers mm-hmm. what. But like even with so so even with my my teaching of that, like have a personality up until you can't, right? Mm-hmm. I had to, I sat my husband down um, I don't know, like a year ago or a year and a half ago after this. So I left the church and I started going through this spiritual awakening and trauma clearing and complete redesigning of who I actually was. And I like sat him down, this poor man. He's had so many days where I like sit him down and I'm like, let's talk. And I was like, I just want you to know that like, I am not going to be tempering my reactions or thoughts to things to make you more comfortable any longer. Mm -hmm. And he was like, just looked at me and he was so bewildered legitimately because he was like, I have never asked you to do that, which is true. He is not. And I was like, you're right, you didn't, but I did it anyway, because that's how I was trained. Mm -hmm. That's how I was, you know, that's what I pulled from my community, from my church. And so, although you've never asked of me, you've had it for 19 years now. So it's going to be a bit of an adjustment for you when I suddenly Uh stop doing this and I need you to be prepared for that. Um, But yeah, it's just like we, we internalize these things. Okay, so sorry, we're okay, so we're going to we're going to get back in here. So 17 you start dating this guy, 18 you get married or is it 18, 19? Mm-hmm. So 18 you get 18. by 18 you're married. He's 8 years older from you. He is from Romania, so no like very little American exposure that you've had. Yeah. And definitely no uh paranormal pagan type of things happening <laughs> in his life. But you married him for why? To be good, right? To be the good girl. Um, 
Yes. Um, and I mean, obviously, you know, there was attraction there and whatnot. You know, it's not like I was just, you know, this, you know, poor little kid who's being thrust into, you know, some unknowing, you know, yeah. world or something. I, I had the idea of what, you know, was going on. And at that time, I was so, you know, I was 18. And so I was ready to leave my parents. <laughs> I was ready to get, you know, to go and start a life and whatever. Yeah. Um, but I did not understand what marriage was. Mm. I I was a kid. I mean, I there was, and especially in raising that community, I was in the mind of probably a 14-year-old when mm. I was 18. I was very, um, not that, you know, not because I didn't want to know more that I wasn't smart or something. I just didn't have that social life or that social connection yeah. that, you know, your normal person in everyday society has. Yeah. Um, that really hit me when I was like 21 mm-hmm. and I opened a Twitter account. And oh. uh, this goes back to everything that I said came across as either sexist or, you know, it was some sort of like, you know, mm-hmm. racist word or, you know, yeah. idea that was like being pushed out. And I was like, but that's not what I'm saying. And people are like, yes, this is. is what you said. <laughs> and they're like, this is what this means in English. And I'm like, I cried so hard. I was like, I can't connect with people in my church. Yeah. I can't connect with the world yeah. out there. They're like, there is no, there, there's like, what am I? I'm like, I'm an alien. There is, there right. is nowhere for me to go. Right. Oh um, but I, so I had to teach myself. Um, and I did a lot of that because I refused to step back and just not, you know, interact with people anymore. I was like, no, I, I have to put myself out there. I'm going to learn from experience if I'm not going to learn from being taught from, you know, someone else. And so I went out of my way to learn what I could to get myself where I needed to be to function as an adult in America. Um, because I, I felt stupid. I was naive. I was totally blind to, you know, if somebody was, you know, trying to um, manipulate me, I had everybody's good. Everybody's a good person. Yeah. You know, this person wouldn't try. What, what's a scam? What do you mean <laughs> scamming? Like, oh I was just, yeah. it, it, it was rough. <laughs> right. So I want to, I want to ask, I have a hypothesis here and I'm sure someone listening is going to be like, but wait a second. So you were super secluded in your community and your religion, but you were going to public schools, right? Yeah. So I'm hypothesizing here that the reason that that naivety wall wasn't broken by going to public schools was because your church fear-mongered it so much mm-hmm. that you had massive resistance walls to letting any of that information in because mm-hmm. it was scary. Would would you say that? Oh yeah. Okay. So, so that, yeah. that, that completely, so like you were in the world, but not in the world at all. And I think that that's really important yeah, I was to point walls out. were up. Yeah. Nothing yeah. can come in. And, yeah. 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 Okay, okay, yeah. okay. And this is this is the point where um I wanted to actually uh, make a point about because the church still does this today. So when Facebook first started, I know I said Facebook when Facebook came into the church, that was fun. Because first it started out with um, you know, there's this new thing. Facebook came out. The church was preaching about how evil it was and how we had to avoid it, like the plague, make sure we're not giving it our attention, that we're going to be fooled by the devil to be drawn into this thing. Um, But the pastor's wife eventually got a Facebook because other women in the church were getting Facebook so that I'm assuming just so they could probably communicate, you know, in a different way and share pictures and whatnot because it was so accessible. Um, 
So then it turned into, hold on, Facebook is a place to get information, um, to see what's going on in the world, to infiltrate, you know, more people so we could spread the word now through even more people. And um, now we're politicians. Now everybody, you know, get a Facebook because we're going to go and start, you know, trying to get into the government mm-hmm. by, you know, um, you know, making, you know, these pages for this. And, you know, we're going to start blasting this person's name out so that, you know, they can get, you know, the, uh, some seat on, you know, whatever, um just political crap, um, which they did manage to, you know, to get done is get, you know, certain people kind of starting to rise in, you know, politics in whatever way they can. But it turned into this thing of um, uh, now they use um, Facebook women, especially to get their gossip from Facebook about other mm-hmm. women, about other families to spread whatever needs to um, be spread. But um and that's why when, you know, like I'm not very public on Facebook now. I, I mean, I use Facebook mainly just for my group, for my TikTok and stuff, for people to come there so we can have, you know, daily conversation about whatever. But um, I, every once in a while, will post something that is controversial because I know that those women are still coming to my page to see what I'm doing. And then I'll find out like a week later from one of the kids or from, you know, somebody else that, you know, oh, the church preached about this. What did you do? <laughs> But I'm like, <laughs> there's like a of comic, Diana. What did you say? <laughs> but they they would take the things that I say and start like because you know I admit I have you know kind of uh, messed with things a bit where I would go and I would just make something up and make it seem really important <laughs> that this thing is happening and everybody's talking about this and there's going to be this new thing that you know it's we're rising up and whatever and then the church is like we have to stand against this you know thing we and have to not allow this kind of up. shut up oh my god you're hilarious <laughs> you're so... but and now they use Facebook to stream their church services every Sunday so <laughs> Oh my God. So yeah, no, this is, it is an important point though, because, and we talked about this before, like Mormonism is very, very good at this, which is, uh, anticipating threats. Right. So it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, so our kids are going to get exposed to ABCD on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is. So we are going to create Mm -hmm. those fear walls, which exactly is exactly what they did to you in elementary school. Mm -hmm. Right. We're going to create those fear walls so that none of it they won't even look at it, right? We can't even, like, we've got to prevent them from looking at it because heaven forbid someone looks at it and goes, wait a second, like maybe, maybe what I've been receiving isn't true. So to circumvent that, Mm -hmm. we just create all of the fear around any new thought processes, around any new ideas, Mm -hmm. which, yeah. And then for you to get on Twitter as an adult and be like, Wait a second. And I'm, I want to give you some credit, though, here for, you know, you jump on and you're being called racist, sexist, like all of these things. And instead of turning and going back to comfortable, you were like, no, I have to figure this out. I have to learn. I have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that. I think is such an important part of your journey and a part that probably gets looked over a bit, but it's, it's that mm, Mm -hmm. cracking your mind open and sitting in the uncomfortable of what does this actually mean? And what does this say about me? And what does this say about my entire identity? Like it's, it's a, it's a big thing. Yeah. And I get asked a lot, even, you know, by adults, by kids, it's like, um, 
you know, uh, even one of my own little ones was like, mom, why didn't it work? And I'm like, why didn't what work? And they're like, why didn't church work on you? Like, why were you able to say that you didn't want to go to church anymore and that you're not there? And I've had other adults come and be like, but why weren't you indoctrinated the same Mm. way? Why didn't it stick? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like this is you know, a question for the philosophers, I guess, because I have no idea. It's just I have used I've asked myself that question when I was judging myself and hating myself yeah. and, you know, being like, why am I like this? What's wrong with me? Why am I broken? Why yeah. can't I just have this faith that they have, you know, when yeah. I did have faith, you know, it's just that my experiences with what they call God was so personal that nobody else could like nobody else in that community, which this really irked me as an adult was like, cause I would try to have conversations with other women and be like, you know, asking them to share some of their spiritual experiences, you know, where they were like, just like, you know, there's a God, this is, you know, my connection with, you know, the divine God. And they had nothing. Mm. And I'm like, but how, I'm like, so what made me less Christian by having these experiences with what, I believed was that God was the same God that you guys are all talking about, but they were so personal and they were so eye opening. And I was receiving information from this, you know, from this experience and understanding and becoming more like more understanding of, you know, my own feelings and how my brain functions Mm -hmm. and how my emotions are. And you guys are like, just these mentally lopsided robots Mm -hmm. that just do as you're told and don't ask questions. And it's like, but, and I mean, I had a lot of frustrations with that, you know, idea of that. It didn't stick. It didn't work. So I don't, I don't know why, you know, that just kind of carried with me throughout my life where I was like, you know, same thing then where I was like, no, I I have to put myself in this position so I can learn. Yeah. So I can figure this out because if I don't figure this out, I'm going back in the cage and I refuse to be, in the cage oh, <laughs> anymore. Yeah. I'm out of the cage now. <laughs> you yeah. know, thankfully I'm completely out of that cage. But back then I thought I was getting out of a cage by, you know, stepping out into social media, but I was just in a much bigger cage. Right. I didn't realize. <laughs> right, right. Now I want to talk about this more because we actually, you know, we spent a lot of time on the fear of, you know, your fear of what if is this, what if this is Satan, right? What if this is terrible? Mm-hmm. But what we haven't talked about is something you mentioned to me, which is exactly what you're saying, which is the, the peace and that connection that you were feeling in the other moments. Because I think mm-hmm. that that is exactly the why, like, why didn't it work on you? Yeah. Because you had something inside of you that was standing at odds with this information and this other experience that you could not deny. And Mm-hmm. That, that I think is probably the difference here. Um, I would say, cause for me, it was a little different. Like I was definitely having personal spiritual experiences, but like Mormons claim that all the time. And I shouldn't say claim Mormons, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure a lot of them actually have very personal experiences. That's something that is, is taught and nurtured in Mormonism that I am actually really mm-hmm. grateful for this idea that you can connect, um, to a, you know, I, they call it the Holy ghost, but yeah, to connect to spirit, connect mm-hmm. to something. Um, yeah. but it was for me, this internal knowing of who I was that I just, no matter mm-hmm. how hard I tried to conform, like I just couldn't 
deny it. It was causing me such harm to try to deny it. That yeah, I can't go back mm-hmm. in the cage anymore. I love that wording. That was perfect. So let's talk about some of the experiences that you were having and how it actually made you feel when we are on the good end, because I think that people have had these, but they don't know what, like, they don't know the significance. They don't know where to place them. They don't know what to do with it. So talk Mm -hmm. to us just a little bit about the beautiful stuff that happened that gave you the strength. Um, you mean the beautiful stuff in like you're connecting, you're connect when, when you say I had moments of connecting with God and they Mm -hmm. didn't seem to have them. What do you mean by that? What did that look like for you? Oh, okay. So, um, and this is where I, I, this is probably why I try to focus a whole lot of my teachings on like TikTok and, you know, everywhere else that, you know, I'm speaking on things about perspective Mm -hmm. is that this connection, whatever it was, was what gave me the ability to change my perspective and to recognize where other people are coming from. Um, so when I was going through, um, or, you know, it's not even necessarily about what I was going through is sometimes I would witness other people going through things and I would see somebody who they were going through something that was such a big struggle for them. And I would be able to go and talk to them and be like, Hey, and I would be able to use, you know, when I was, you know, a Christian, I would be able to use the terminology that spoke to them that were that was, you know, meant something to them to help pull them out of a negative mental space mm-hmm. or to, you know, rediscover their sense of spirituality, their sense of, you know, their own, you know, idea or, you know, version of connection, um, whether it's through prayer or whatever. But um, that, um, I I think that was the, the thing is being able to understand people is one of the biggest things that came from, from my spirituality, from my sort of uh, my connection that I was making, you know, from very young to very old is just being able to recognize what people were going through to feel. And, and, you know, I also wanted to make a point that, um, you know, when I say, you know, being able to read people or see people, I don't mean, you know, it in like this psychic, you know, like metaphysical sense. I do believe um, there's actually enough research to show that anybody who is psychic um, who's able to read people has come from either a childhood, a traumatized or a traumatic childhood, or the mother, their mother was going through some sort of traumatic, mm. you know, extreme high levels of stress, and that you know um, instilled the same uh, chemical changes in the baby as if they were going through a traumatic childhood. Right. Um, and um, I've done some research on that, but that is where you know. It, it, the psychicism of being able to read people is really just picking up on the extremely subtle, almost subconscious cues that, you know, they show in their eyes and, you know, um, in their face and, you know, expressions, body language, whatever. And it can be, it, it's almost like, a, I, you know, you know, walking into a cold room, you know, you walk into a cold room, you can't see it, but you can feel it mm-hmm. suddenly just you know, the hairs on your arms stick up because you're responding to that energy change, mm-hmm. the temperature change, right? And that's what it's like when you're, you know, you have that hypersensitivity to something. You could walk up to someone or, you know, just see them from afar, but it's a feeling that you feel change that is on a like um, physiological and physical level mm-hmm. where it's like, okay something like you pick up on something, but I don't think it's anything magical or something that is, you know, that has no answer. It's just not studied enough to really, um, you know, to 
really put out and talk about in a way that is going to be accepted by skeptics or something. But um, I just wanted to make that point whenever I was saying things about connecting with people and reading people and being able to pick up on things with people. But um, I think that was um, just being able to be empathic as well, to be able to you know, um, even in this, you know, in the church and in the spiritual sense to be able to, it, it's a good thing to be able to care about people and to care about their feelings and to, um, be able to apply your energy towards, um, you know, making sure that they're comfortable, that things, you know, that they're content as long as it's not interfering with your own and with yourself. That I think is where there's a big problem where it's like, we are taught to just give and give and give our time, energy, attention, our passion to, you know, the people around us and not save any for ourselves. And so we deplete ourselves of everything we have. And then we're surprised that we have no personality or we have no hobby or something. Um, But I think it is, you know, there is a balance to be had there. And I found that balance through my own spiritual experiences and um, that was also within the church and, you know, outside of the church. But again, I don't know if that answers your question exactly, but I think that's probably one of my biggest takeaways. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about like your favorite experience of like the thing that you look back on and are like, that was, that was God for me. Can you tell me mm-hmm. what, like, what's, what's the standout one? Also, I'm really hoping no one can hear my dog <sighs> snoring in the background. Because he oh, I don't hear anything. So loud, like I'm like, dude. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I think there was um, there was, and I I can't really pinpoint one specific because this was so um so common for me, and, and this is what made me realize I'm where I was just like, this isn't fake. Like I'm not just imagining this. Mm-hmm. This is something you know mm-hmm. amazing that's happening um around me, and that's why I couldn't just leave religion and become an atheist. I'm like, no, I have experiences. I have things that happen. And one of the most common things was that if, if I would get scared or frustrated or I didn't know what was going on, you know, and I was just, um, you know, like just full of stress, I would, I, I would ask in my head, like, why, why is this happening? You know, what am I supposed to be doing with this? What is the answer to this? And I wouldn't hear a voice, you know, I wouldn't get an answer, but my body would just get warm and I would just kind of fall soft and it was just like this peace that would come over me and I'm just like okay (laughs) like and it was just this feeling I think of um I I I don't know I don't know what I would call it I mean I always called it God I was just always like you know oh God you know he poured this peace over me and that that's you know that's what it was I never lost that I still get that Mm. all the time um, in fact, I learned to, uh, you know, over the years take moments, um, like that. And because I was so familiar with the feeling I was able to, in my own periods of stress. Now, if I get to a point of, um, you know, severe levels of stress, or I'm, you know, getting panicky about something, I can change my heart rate. I can mm-hmm. lower, you know, my own blood pressure <laughs> just by thinking about it. You know, I can put myself in that frame of mind of just, calming myself down, regaining myself, my sense of control. So I don't have panic attacks. And so I don't, you know, go out and, you know, have anxiety anymore. Like I could have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder before I was so bad. The health issues were just insane. 
And I learned that I could recreate those feelings just by re, um, I guess, it, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it is something that I do where I feel like I'm connecting to something bigger than me. It's sort of mm-hmm. like this, you know, grandfather sort of, you know, feeling of like, you're safe, you're taken care of, just, you know, breathe, you know, let yourself relax, you know, just, you know, it's yeah. okay. And it's this feeling that, um, uh, you know, I do it whenever I do readings too. I do it for people when I'm doing readings to kind of help bring myself into the moment to be able to stay focused and pick up whatever I need to pick up, know what I need to know. So, you know, I can do readings on people. Um, but that is something that I, I definitely called God before. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I don't like to say, you know, like, oh, it's God because Christianity is so rampant in the world right now. I just call it source (laughs) at this time. People are like, well, what's source? I'm like, I don't know. It's wherever you come from, wherever I come from, wherever that deer came from and that flower, like we all, we're all alive. This energy had to come from somewhere. Maybe it's a big ball of light, you know, somewhere. I don't know, (laughs) but it's where we come Uh, from. I don't know. (laughs) I I like source too. And it's for the same reason. God triggers me in a, Mm -hmm. in a very Christian way that I'm still working through and source feels more comfortable, but for me, it also feels a little more correct, which is a whole long conversation we're not going to have right now. But um, mm-hmm. I love the, I love that this was your example. I love, love, love this because I think so many people are looking for the huge, like crazy, magnificent experiences, right? Like, yeah, I heard a Miracles. voice and I had this, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're beautiful. They're amazing. And if you've been, you know, like what's, I can't think of a word, like lucky enough to have had an experience like that, like great. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that exactly what you described is what so many people are looking for or have felt it, mm-hmm. but don't identify it as like significant enough. And that is yeah. everything. And when you were talking about that feeling come over you, it reminded me, I actually had not, I think thought about the feeling around this experience. Cause like after time 379 of my faith falling apart for me, like restacking it up, like it fell apart mm-hmm. in church. So I'm like in the main meeting and like, I literally felt like a, like a wall just like crumbling again. And I mm-hmm. like teared up because I was like, I can't put this back together. Like I've tried so many times. And so I finally, like, I don't know, someone was talking and I zoned out and I was like, okay, okay. Are there any of these bricks on the ground that I can use? Like, are there any of these mm-hmm. that I can still pick up? And I think I started with Jesus because I thought, well, that's an obvious one. Right. And I was like, I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, I can't, I don't know. I don't know. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like, I can't even say that. Like, and so I picked up like the God brick and I was like, what about this one? Like, do I believe in God? Like, we're just going to start at the beginning. (laughs) And, and what I got was, yeah, very much what you were saying. Like, it was this sense of like warmth and peace, but also expansiveness of like feeling something Mm -hmm. bigger than myself and being like, yes. Okay. Yes. I have one brick. I have one brick. (laughs) But it was, it it was a feeling. It was not a logical sense of like, yeah, so I logically track this. It was a feeling. So like, yeah, that was actually Mm -hmm. a really special moment for me as you started walking through it. Cause I was like, yes, that's exactly, that's exactly what happened. Oh, beautiful. All right. So let's talk about your married life. So you get married at 
18 years old, you start having kids immediately, right? If I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And you had been groomed a certain way, which we actually didn't get into. So let's get into that here of like what your Mm -hmm. expectations were above, you know, the small, the small fact of don't have a personality. What else? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What else were you kind of lit? Not kind of what, what were you living with? What was your life like? Um, and I know we've talked about the, the health impact on that as well as the spiritual impact and, and everything else. So the, let's kind of mm-hmm. just get a, a nice big round view of what this was for you. All right. Um, when we turn around, uh, turn about like what, 14 or so, 14 or 15, you start going to these youth nights, which took church days from, uh, you know, being twice a week to, um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday nights were prayer night, Whoa. Saturday was choir, Sunday was six hours of church. Holy, and... oh my God, Do you, you're the first person that's outdone me on church attendance. Holy <laughs> shit. Well, there was, Tuesday night was youth night at one of the Romanian churches in the area. Um, then Wednesday night was youth night at the main church that my uncle, you know, was presided over, you know, physically. Uh, Thursday was regular church night. It was just like, uh, you know, everybody came for Thursday. Fridays, uh, there was always a member of the church who had like a prayer night and you'd start going to the prayer nights. Um, uh, Saturday was choir practice. So that was about three to four hours of um, choir practice for um, church. And um, then Sunday, like I said, was uh, two different um, services. The morning service was three hours. The uh, evening service was uh, two to three hours. Um, never shorter than two hours, though. Um, unfortunately, we children were very exhausted. But <laughs> but um, so it was a lot of church. And um, the youth nights, once you hit a certain age, was just sort of like they would talk to you as if you already know all this. Like it wasn't like a, let's teach you, you know, how to be, you know, a good person in church, you know? Um, it was more of like, and you girls, when you get married and you do this and you do that, and this is how you spend your time. And, you know, then you're going to see, you know, this kind of change. Like they, they talk to us as if we had been taught these things already that we just knew. And so by being approached in that attitude of, um, you know, uh, this is, this is you. And this is what, this is what, you know, we all know you're going to do this. You know, you're going to be this way. And this is how life is going to be. Um, it was very hard to step back and be like, wait, but what if I don't want to, <laughs> you know? So it was just like, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what life is going to look like. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, but, um, girls are not expected to get an education. Um, in fact, I tried to, go to college um, when I was married um, right before I had my third kid. And um, I did not have support for that. I was just kind of like, I just, I need to do it. I want to, you know, go and I want to go to college. I don't just want to be a stay at home mom. I want to feel like I can do something, um, you know, and bring something to this marriage besides cleaning and cooking and just existing here. Um, And I ended up having at one point, um, I mean, a lot of marriage problems came out of that. So, you know, by that, my, my marriage was falling apart by the second month of being married and I stuck it out for 11 years. Mm-hmm. But, um, when I was, um, uh, when was it, it was like a year before, um, my son was born. So, um, uh, let me think. 
I, I don't remember exactly the, the, the time um, differences with all this, but it was about when I was like, it was like 10 years ago, um, 11 years ago, I, you know, was trying to go to college. And so um, the marriage was definitely struggling from it because not only, you know, did I want to go to college, but when I came home, I still had all the same expectations, um, you know, having to, to cook and clean. And I had my mother-in-law living with us at this at the same time too. So um, it was not like, uh, oh, you're home, you know, let's, you know, you know, let you relax a little bit, you know, go, you know, just do what you got to do. No, it was okay. This is what we still need to get done today. Here's all the problems that we had today. And um, then of course, you know, my um, husband at the time, you know, he had his own, um, he had all the freedoms that I didn't have, you know, he got to go and hang out with friends all day. He got to go have lunches with people. He got to see people all the time. Right. Um, I think that was my main thing with college was that I wanted to see people and be surrounded by society, having real normal people around me instead of just being, you know, um, stuck in that Romanian community with only those people there. But, um, you know, it was, um, more of how you present yourself. There were expectations there about, you know, the types of things that you wear and, um, you know, right down to, you know, like there are some of the husbands that are very particular about where you even shop. Like, you don't get clothes from this place. You get clothes from this place and, you know, they have to be like this and they have to be shaped like this. And, um, of course, you know, that changes on men's moods too. So it's really confusing. (laughs) Don't show anything except today because today I find it exciting. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but, um, it was really, okay. So there, there was, um, you know, issues with the marriage with me going to college and, um, at the time, you know, I was trying to talk to my mom about things that were going on and sharing with her some of my struggles and some of the, um, you know, psychological stuff that was going on in, in the house. And I'm like, this is like, this isn't healthy, mom. Like, I don't know, you know, what to do about this. This is not what anybody should, you know, have to deal with. And then she comes to visit. My dad comes to visit. My uncle comes to visit. And... um he, of course, you know, when he visits, he preaches at the church there. You know, they make room for him to be well, like, Well, of course, when the Pope to, comes, you let one. the Pope talk. I've got to <laughs> Yeah. I can't help it. I have, yeah. he's not the Pope. All right. <laughs> no, no problems here. Um, but um, so, and I'm like, at in one point of the time that he's there, you know, given his service, I am taking my kids to the nursery where they have speakers so you can hear what is being mm. said in the church. And he's preaching about why mothers and wives don't need to go to college. Oh and of course he how... is. What other possible topic <laughs> could he have come with? Oh, my God. And they're like, the mother-wife figure is one of the pillars that keeps the house up, you know? And, you know, the home is... Um, you know, uh, built on this, you know, like, or whatever, the home is built on this, you know, the structure and the woman is one of the pillars. And if the woman's not there all the time, (laughs) like then the structure is going to fall. And of course the marriage is going to fail, you know? And so the woman needs to understand her place and her place is at home to be there for the husband, to provide for the children, to teach the children, to make sure that she is there on call when she's needed. That's the woman's place. That is what she's, you know, meant to do. Um, but if you choose to go to college, expect your marriage to fail. <laughs> What's the whole message about that? And I'm like, are you su- like, you think I wouldn't recognize where this is right? coming from? You're like, oh, like, oh <laughs> yes, brilliantly inspired message. <laughs> 
clearly this one came from God. <laughs> but, um, it, okay, so um, I'm trying to think of all the different areas that you said you wanted um, me to come at this from. Um, okay, so you you talked so, about psychological abuse, because um, I know you said he was allowed to go out and talk to people you were not. He was allowed to hang out and go to lunch yeah. you were not. So, like, cooking, cleaning, all of those things, was that culturally expected? Everything that you said, yeah. yes. Um, and uh, this this is the thing that, that really got me, um, was that I, and this is what a lot of, you know, us you know, when the, those of us who get married young to an older guy, we don't recognize what's happening until it's said why it happened that way. Um, and it was put into these words. I married you young so I could raise you into the wife that you were supposed to be. Uh, I kind of want to throw up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, when that hit me, like, okay, you know, I understand culturally that makes sense to them because that is what they expect. He wasn't saying it, you know, just to be a hateful douche, right, you know, right. he was saying, saying it because that is what they do. And that is the way it works. And I didn't recognize that that's how it works. So I immediately was like, so you groomed me as a child. You're in your mind, you're marrying a child so that you can raise this child to be the wife that fits your purpose, right. your vision. And I'm like, but what about me? Yeah. <laughs> like, where do I fit in here right. at all? And it's like, so this isn't about love. You didn't marry for love. You married for the cultural aspect of, you know, the, this is what a wife is and you signed up for this. And so this is the steps that you're going to have to take to become this person. And I, again, the indoctrination didn't stick. <laughs> and so and, and, you know, I can't just conform to things like that. I have to feel like I'm worth something. And I think that's where my self-worth went down the crapper. I was like, mm. so I'm not worth anything but being this machine to do, mm. you know, the bidding of you and your mom at the time, right. which me and her, we have an awesome relationship now. I love right. her. But you know, back then we were living together. The marriage was, you know, not great. And, you know, there was a lot of stress. But um, it's just the mentality of, and this is the thing, the young girls don't realize this when they are being, you know, put in a situation or encouraged to go, you know, get an older guy or to allow this older man to groom her and, you know, marry her is it's not because of love. Um, love doesn't have a place in marriages in this church, which is something I learned, you know, when I was married and I would have, um, other married women be like, well, what do you mean? Like, what kind of conversations do you want to have with your husband? Like what, you know, it's like, um, and that's the thing is like, (laughs) what do you mean? I can't put it because they don't have real relationships. (laughs) They're just like, they have their roles yeah. and, and that's all it is. You have a role in the marriage. You don't have a relationship right. in the marriage. Um, I want to think that now, okay, because I, I was at that, um, I was at the threshold of change when it came to girls in this Romanian church um, and, you know, marriage and whatnot. When I left, it was a big deal. Um, and um, it was something that I you know, was attacked over in so many different ways because, you know, how could you do this to your family, to the reputation of your family? But um, I see 
the girls that were young teenagers back then are now getting married to um, you know to people that are closer to their age. Most of them, at least. I heard that there is a girl that just got married or is just about to get married to like some 30 some year old. And she's like 19 yeah. and um, or 18. I think she just turned 18. And this guy's well into his 30s. And um, I'm just like, <sighs> so it's still going on. But I am recognizing that there are some of the girls that were, you know, like youth. They were part of the youth when I was, you know, getting divorced. Um, that they're marrying guys who are more their age who are other Romanian Americans. Yeah. And so I like to think that that's starting to dilute itself yes. out now, yeah. <laughs> that that kind of thing is, um, you know, kind of going away and that they're going to have happier yeah. you know, lives and maybe relationships they can stick with. Um, you know, I, it just sorry, I'm wasn't gonna, the case for me. <laughs> no. Yeah. And I'm, I want, I want to say this cause I don't think you would claim credit necessarily just cause of, I mean, who you mm-hmm. are. But I think that it's really significant to point to it as like for all of us, right? When Mm -hmm. we stand in really uncomfortable situations and when we decide, okay, you know what? We're going to be the chain breakers, even though it sucks Mm -hmm. and it's painful. And this is the most excruciating damn thing that I could ever walk through. And I wouldn't choose this in a million years, but I also can't not choose this, right? Like mm-hmm. when you, when you do that, the impact is far greater than we realize. because mm-hmm. what happened here, you had, you had a, a setup, which you've already illustrated, which is you, we didn't talk to the girls as if there was another option or any one, right? Not just the girls, but we mm-hmm. didn't talk as if there was another option. It was just, this is the way thing is. And that prevents you from questioning, just like you said, right? Like you were never yeah. like, wait a second, what if I don't want to? But because you changed, mm-hmm. you injected that into that society where now all the girls that come after you can be like, but wait a minute, what if I don't mm-hmm. want that? Now their question is available to ask. Yeah. And that cannot be understated, the importance of, mm-hmm. of that. I think a lot of times we think, oh, why am I bothering? Like, I'm just destroying my life for nothing. But that's mm-hmm. not the truth. Like, we're not only just saving ourselves. Like, we are quite literally saving yeah. all of those around us. Yeah. And it's funny, actually. I had somebody come and tell me. They're like, um, somebody who, you know, I hadn't, I, I've not been in connection with the church now for years. Um, and I had somebody come and tell me last year. Um, they're like, oh, yeah, girls are getting divorced now. Like, girls are going, they're doing things. And and they're like, but the thing is, the annoying thing is that nobody is going after the woman the way that they went after me. Right. And, um, and after this particular person who was telling me, she's like, they, um, they're just like, oh yeah, they got divorced and now she's, you know, with someone else and he's with someone else and you know, whatever. But when they talk about me, it is apparently still with a lot of hate, mm-hmm. with a lot of anger, a lot of frustration in the fact that I went and did something. Right. And, um, you know, she did say, she's like, it's because of who we are and who we're related yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. And that, that is all it is. Um, because, you know, I, I'm the bad guy because I'm related to him because I'm part of that family. But anybody else can go and do it. And, you know, oh, it's just a just another thing. Right. <laughs> but, um, right. and, and. Well, I, I'm just like, yeah, whatever, you know, and I tell my girls all the time, my daughters, um, 
they're at the age now where they, I mean, at 10 years old, they had somebody be like, you have to let go of your childish ways. You're a woman now. <laughs> I'm like, who the F do you think? <laughs> like, she's 10, right. you know? She's older now, but they're now at an age where, you know, it's time to groom them. Yeah. And I have been, as I always say, and I hope somebody from that church is hearing me right now, because <laughs> I always say, and I tell my girls this, I'm like, the church right now, as you guys go to those youth nights and you are being told what it's like to be a woman and a wife and a mother and how great it's going to be and how perfect everything's just going to fall into place because God, the church is knitting the street jacket yeah, and they're knitting it for you. So when you're married, they're going to put it on. You're going to be stuck. I'm like, and I want them to know that I'm on the other side and I am pulling one thread yes. <laughs> so, while they're knitting it. And, you know, I'm pulling it. So by the time you turn 18 and you get to choose your path for yourself, yeah. there's not going to be anything left for them to throw over you anymore. Yeah. Maybe they'll have a little bit of something that might go around your, you know, your neck a little bit. And you'll be like, well, what the freak is this? I don't want this. Right. And, you know, you'll be right. able to go and make your make your choice. Um, but I am making sure that they have the tools to um, to go within, to yeah. think critically and to think about their own feelings and not feel guilty about thinking about themselves right. because that is the thing is like you can't think about yourself you are a woman you're under you know your future husband even when you're not married it's like you can't be this way because you you have a future husband he's there you're just not married yet and that man mm. is right under god so or right under jesus and so you don't have these rights you can't be this way you can't you know whatever um, and I'm making sure that they understand that that's just a bunch of crock mm -hmm. and that when they reach the proper age to you're the legal age to go and make their own decisions, I tell them this all the time. I'm like, if you choose to be, you know, in that church, you know, because it's your choice, I'm like, I will support you. I will come to your wedding. I will come to whatever baptism I will come to whatever. And I'm, I'm in your corner, but if you end up taking that path because of fear or because you're being pushed, I'm still going to be over here with a glass of wine and my door is going to be open and I'll have a glass of wine right for you mm -hmm. too, whenever you need to get out of that. Mm -hmm. Like if you need that rope pulling you out, I'm going to be there yeah. regardless of what choice you choose, because yeah, you're probably going to make some mistakes in life. Hopefully it's not going to be on the scale yeah. <laughs> of what I did getting married young and staying in that church for so long. But if that is something that you're going to have to experience, just know that whatever you do, I'm going to be there and pull you out. And um, I actually, um, when she, one of my daughters had told me about um, one of the girls in the church and um, I just, you know, I was, it, it was something around marriage. I don't want to get specifics because if somebody from yeah. the church is hearing this, they'll know who I'm talking about. But um, I had said, I'm like, just remember this conversation because I was like, I had said when I first left that church, I was like, all your guys' daughters in here, I was like, all your daughters in here are going to grow up and they are going to recognize that you guys are manipulating them, that you guys are controlling them and you are forcing them to do something. Mm -hmm. But now they're going to have somebody I'm like, I'm waiting for the day to get emails, to get texts and be like, I don't know if you remember me, yeah. but you know, I need help. My mom won't help me. I need help. My family's not here for me. I don't know what to do. I'm being, you know, abused. I'm being, you know, treated this way. I'm being locked up, whatever it is. And know that, you know, as an adult, <laughs> they're going to be adults. So they're going to have this right. But I'm going to be willing to give whatever resources I can give to make sure that 
that they're, they're going to have a chance because that was the most, I, I, I gained the lessons I learned from it, but it was the darkest time in my life was to be trapped in a world in this life that was not in my control whatsoever. I mean, it felt like it wasn't in my control mm-hmm. I, I, because the control was, um, it, it was this illusion that I was living in that, you know, I had these walls around me, this cage around me that I couldn't just step out and get out. But when I did, <laughs> that was the greatest feeling in the world and being able to just see all of my health issues go away because of the level of stress that I was under all the time, just enduring everything that I had to endure for so many years and forcing away my true me and not really not being able to take the time to recharge the way that I have to recharge because women are not allowed to have breaks because how dare you need a break from being a mother? How dare you need a break from being a, you know, a, a wife? Like this is your family. You, that just means you hate them. You're filled with sin. You know, they're, you know, throwing all these things at you because you know, just to keep you from going and taking a break from recharging, from having any feeling of self-care. Um, it's such a threat to them. Um, and th- th- those were the darkest days. And for me to th- sit there and think all these girls that are now at that age to go and get married, some of them are getting married now to older guys. And I'm just like, well, I'll be here. You know, yeah. it's like, you let your friends know, <laughs> like, yeah. which, you know, they're my, my girls are, you know, they're not troublemakers or anything. They're not going to go around, you know, telling all their friends, Hey, if you need a divorce, go call my mom. Right, right. <laughs> it's not like that, but um, I think I, I am confident in my ability to help people now coming yeah. from that world and find the right frame of mind and to kind of look past the illusion um, that they have no control and that they have no way out of whatever their situation is and find that, that door or that loophole, whatever's there. Yeah. When I love, I, it's so important that we have people standing in the place that you are standing. And I'm so glad that you are standing there. Cause I know like I'm already, yeah, I get text messages and calls randomly from people that I know, mm-hmm. but also from people that I don't even know. It's like someone that I know is like, Hey, I have a friend and I think you could help them. Can I give them your n- number? I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. yes. So I, I love that, that you are there. And I have, yeah. I have a question that I would like you to answer because I know how this whole system works and the church loves to, well, all churches, I'm going to say the church as in churches, the church Mm -hmm. loves to, to demonize those that have left and to Mm -hmm. create a very careful narrative of fear around that. And you, I'm Mm -hmm. sure made it very easy, right? Because you broke all the rules and then look what happened. You didn't want to be a submissive wife. You didn't want to like have motherhood be your only point of existence in this world, even though you love your Mm -hmm. children dearly. Like you, you know, got into devil worship because you looked at material that was not (laughs) church, you know, like approved. And then look what happened. Now you are an apostate. I don't know if they use that term in Romanian Pentecostal. Um, and you, I use it. Perfect. You're an apostate. <laughs> you got a divorce. Like, see, everything that we said would happen, happened. So this is why you don't want to follow Diana's path because, because look, like it was proof. Like it's proof in our mm-hmm. word. So 
for you looking at what your life was like before and not just like in a in a pain way I mean like in a whole body living kind of way um Mm -hmm. compared to who you are now your experience with life now your experience with happiness your experience with just you like stepping into you what would your response be to that argument from the church I can now choose to treat myself the way that I need to treat myself. If I need to go see um, a doctor for some reason, I don't need to go and have somebody's permission to go and um, take care of a health issue. I don't have to have someone else's permission for me to go and have a conversation to learn something new. Um, if I want to have an experience that's meaningful for me that, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, I wonder what that's like, you know, I'd like to go and do that someday. There's nobody to come and threaten me anymore. I don't have fear anymore. I don't fear death. I don't fear, um, suffering. I don't fear, um, any feelings of, um, loss. Um, I recently just, um, I found this quote about how, um, don't fear the end of the world, like about not giving the end of the world attention. Um, and I'm like, I don't give the end of the world attention. I don't give the feeling of, um, change, uh, attention in a negative sense because my world has fallen apart already. I have experienced the end of the world, the end of my world to the Mm. point of, I thought I was going to drop dead in that moment because my response, the body responses of stress Mm. and the terror that was so strong in that moment. And knowing that I get to take my own actions to treat myself the way that I need to treat, to make sure that I'm going to have that sense of, um, not just fulfillment, but safety in my life. It's like, I get to choose my level of safety. Now I get to decide if I'm going to go, um, you know, learn a new skill that I'm going to apply to a job or to just my living. If, you know, um, uh, I am trying to think of an example here. It's not going to come to me soon enough, but just the fact that I don't, I, I don't have fear anymore. I don't have to carry fear around anymore. I don't have to feel guilt. I don't have to feel shame about anything. And those are all the weapons that the church would use against you to make sure that you were listening to them, that you did what they told you to do. Um, but it is just a, it, it is so freeing to be able to make my decisions for myself. And at the same time, see that I can take care of myself and love other mm. people just as much as, you know, they, they claimed that, you know, you can't love others if you're being selfish. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you use selfish, but <laughs> selfish is the wrong word there for when you are balancing the give and take. Yeah. And that is the thing is that as women in that church, they're not taught to believe that they're allowed to have any take whatsoever. Just give and give and give until you drop dead if if you have to, which a woman in church did tell me. Uh, better you die at the hands of your husband than stand before God, a disobedient wife. Oh and so, <laughs> um, that mentality, I get to choose the people that are going to be around me, um, the people that I get to, you know, live with, to learn from. If I, you know, have a person in my life who is uh, consistently negative to me or telling me that I'm doing something wrong, I could cut them off without any bad 
feelings. You know that meme with Morticia yeah. Adams with the scissors? I'm like, that's me. Yeah. I'm like, I will cut you all out of my life if I have to without a second thought because I'm no longer bound by this unseen fear or guilt or shame of anything that is keeping me attached to these old ideas, these like archaic beliefs that if I'm not this way, my life is going to be horrible and full of suffering. Yeah. The only suffering I have is the suffering I allow into my life mm. now. Um, it's in my control now, not in the control of the church. I was told over and over again, if you leave the church, if you turn your back on the church or on your husband, your kids are going to have accidents. They're going to be vegetables for the rest of their lives. You're going to have accidents. You're going to die and leave your children alone without a mother. And you, you know, this is the most selfish thing you can do. And all of these threats that they were throwing at me and it's the complete opposite. And I'm like, no, I'm, I own my life now. You guys have nothing that you can say that's going to affect me or the path that I am walking because this is my life, my path, my choice, and my kids are going to have the same thing. And the fact that I could even feel confident enough to say that is alone, I mean, just one of the biggest freedoms because I had to live my whole life, you know, keeping my mouth shut and not... Not letting myself, you know, say what's really on my mind because, oh, I might, you know, offend somebody. I might hurt someone's feelings or make somebody rethink their lives. Well, God forbid you rethink your own life and the crap that you, you know, allow yourself to be surrounded by. But um, it's just freedom is it's not I, I feel like when people say I feel free from the church, there is a negative response to people from the church. So I don't know that I would use that word when talking to someone um, because they would think, oh, you know, you're uh, feeling free from the church. That means, you know, you've just been filled with the devil, you know, devil's just fooling you. And it's like, no, (laughs) actually, like I, you know, am able to, um, you know, pay bills the way you guys all told me I can't. I'm able to go and find my happiness the way you guys said I wouldn't. Um, that void, that hole in my heart that you told me was going to be gone without Jesus is more full than it's ever been because it was never filled with Jesus. That never made any sense to me. And I'm like, why would I have to depend on a connection to something that you guys are all, you know, telling me, you know, not to ask questions about, not to delve into anymore. Just take what we give you and that's it. Let that fill your heart. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's, that's not, (laughs) this is not enough for anybody. But um, that hole has been filled just by my, my choosing, my, my choice, my ability to stand up and go do what I know is right for me without that fear. The fear is gone. Maybe that's what they need to hear is that the fear is gone and there's peace now. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And thank you. And it's, it, it was hard. Like you said so many beautiful things and it was also hard watching you try to navigate around because I knew what you were doing and you finally vocalized it, which is we know how the church will respond to the words that we're using. And we know that that's not an accurate understanding and there's almost no way Mm -hmm. to fix it. Right. Like it's like, exactly like, um, I'm free. And we've been trained. That's bad, right? That's bad. We don't, we Mm -hmm. want freedom in Christ, which is not actually freedom. We're not being offered that at all. And 
And so, yes, it's, there's, there's all these minefields and that does tie back to what we talked about where the church fear mongers and deliberately Mm -hmm. they layer this very, very intentionally, absolute manipulation tactic, because then even when we speak, we cannot be heard because the walls are up. Mm -hmm. And so I, I know that's part of why I wanted to do this is to, to let us all speak. And those people that have the walls that are coming down will be able to hear and, it yeah. will give everyone permission to start speaking as well. And so like, mm-hmm. I love everything, everything that you said, it was beautiful. And, and I love that you hit on the selfishness thing too, because it is like, we've, <laughs> we really, whether, whether someone has had the audacity to word it the way that they worded it to you or not, the mm-hmm. expectation was there for me as well. Right. If it doesn't matter if you're dying, like you, you keep going. And mm-hmm. the, my capacity for love and service is so much larger than it ever was mm-hmm. when I was being told what to do and being forced. And, oh, yeah. and you worded it so perfectly. And again, I don't think I thought about it like that, of that hole in my heart is filled, right? Whereas before it just mm-hmm. had some drops of someone else's something. And and yeah. now I'm running off of my own love and my own freedom and my own you know connection to whatever we want to mm-hmm. connect to. Um, okay. So we're going to have to wrap up and I'm sad because there's so many more things I know you could say, but there's one thing you said to me the last time and it was so, so beautiful. And I want you to share it with the listeners, um, and what you meant by it. So you were talking about your kids. Um, and do Mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about? I don't want to say it for you. Yes. Yeah. 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 I want you to say (laughs) that one. Okay. So for the record, I first heard that um quote it was it was being spread around some years ago about a woman who said as for it was like um for me and or as for me i will teach my daughters to breathe fire or something Mm. like that and i was like that is exactly what i have kind of entered the world with i was teaching myself to breathe fire without realizing it and now i'm at this point where um I get to fulfill that, that I get to, you know, speak to my daughters in a way, um, you know, to help them learn how to speak up for themselves, how to ask questions, how to have experiences um, and to make mistakes without feeling the fear of, oh, my God, what are my parents going to do if I make this mistake? Oh, my God, what if I fail here? And, you know, they're not going to be afraid of mistakes because of me or because of a religion. And I'm going to make sure that that is, you know, kicked out of their thinking any time that they show any sign that it's there. Um, when it comes to my sons, I'm going to make sure that, you know, I am um, teaching them how to be both masculine, but safe too, like not, you know, toxic about mm-hmm. being masculine and making sure that they can understand that you can be prote- uh, protective and you can be balanced. You can be fulfilled in your own emotions and express your emotions in a way and feel safe that, you know, there are people I'm not the only person in the world that they can come and, you know, get emotional with or be vulnerable with. There are other people out there who can handle that, but they have to just accept and understand that, you know, yeah, there's going to be crappy people in the world. Sure. But speak up for yourself as, as if they don't matter because they really don't. Who, who are, what are they going to do? They're going to, you know, try to, you know, cancel you or something like (laughs) what's that ultimately going to do for anybody. Um, But just that need to, know that every feeling we have, whether it is um, joy, love, or guilt or rage, they're all natural feelings. And when we 
accept the fact that we have these feelings and that as humans, we need to express them in some way. And there is a healthy way to do that. Then we all move forward with confidence in who we are and what we speak and how we speak it. Um, but, um, ultimately I want to make sure that, you know, my, I I fear more for my daughters knowing that, you know, my son who is still in the church community on the weekends, he, he is empathic and you can tell already how he treats his sisters and that he's going to have at least some groundwork to see, um, and to hear from me and our conversations, you know, me and, um, his sisters, um, about, what it's like to be a woman in that church and what it's like to be a woman in the world today. And I involve him in those conversations in a way of, you know, and you're going to see this, you know, when it comes to men and you're going to be faced with this and you're going to be judged for this. But, you know, I I just try to make sure that he is part of that conversation as well. Um, But um, I think that women just need to realize that we only shut up when we're pleasing someone or it's like we're fulfilling some kind of expectation that we don't even realize we've been conditioned with. Um, and we have to recognize that we deserve our own peace of mind, our own happiness, um, just as much as anybody else does. It doesn't belong to the people around us. We have these feelings that we can create within ourselves that we can apply to ourselves. And when we do that, we're healthier on so many levels. Um, you know what you were saying about, um, you know, feeling um, more able to love and to serve and to take care of things, you know, after you left the church. Um, It's the same thing when you are filled with enough self-love and enough mental peace and enough acceptance of who you are, then you're not too, like, we're we're not overwhelmed with the thoughts of, you know, I'm lacking this, I'm missing this, I just wish I could go and do this, you know? And so all the energy is like, I have this, this is great. Now I'm going to go speak to others. I'm going to go help others. I'm going to go and do something, you know, that's going to be meaningful and helpful to others. Um, But the thing is, we get to choose who we share it with. You don't have to, you know, be, you know, in a grocery store and just be polite to every person just to be polite. Um, I uh, recently made a TikTok about walking into, you know, walking into a grocery store and getting hit on by some older gentleman who is, you know, really rude about it. And I don't have to allow that. I can, you know, and I realize I could just flip by switch or flip that switch so easily just by, you know, making a point that I'm not Christian. And then suddenly it's death threats from, you know, being hit on (laughs) to all death threats because I live in the Bible belt. But um, we don't have to keep other people comfortable by keeping our mouth shut. Right. That's not how this works. If they need comfort, they could find it in their their own life, in their own way. They're going to have to deal with their own struggles. It is not our responsibility to go take care of everybody else's feelings mm-hmm. and everybody else's, you know, responsibilities and struggles. If you can be of some help, yeah. you know, when you feel enough energy and enough um, of your own internal resources to be that help, then, you know, and you choose to, go for it. Just don't feel like you have to be forced to do it. And it's going to be more meaningful for us yeah. too. But they they need that confidence first that they are okay as who they are. They're who they need to be. They're fully capable of accepting who they are and embracing that. And then all those extra feelings are going to be overflowing that they could give to others if they so choose. Yes. Oh my God. I love every single thing that you said. And the thing that kept running through was, and we all of this equals us finding our voices. Exactly. Finding our voices. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Thank you so much for coming on 
And I am so excited for everyone to hear everything you had to say. Um, and I think my my ending wish on this is that, yeah, we all become women who know how to breathe fire. Mm-hmm. So Thank you so much for having me. Yes. It was fun. Thank you. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking the time to like, rate, review, and share. Let's make sure that when someone clicks on this podcast, that our voices are the loudest. Love you all. Yeah, yeah, yeah.